Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. If you are a dog trainer who wants to help more people and make more money with your amazing dog training skills, then you should check out Dom Hodgson's Grow Your Pet Business Fast business coaching programs. I was a member of Dom's Pet Business Inner Circle, and in 2017, I attended his inaugural Poodle to Pitbull Pet Business Bootcamp. So I can state without question that his marketing methods are effective and they will help you to make more money. By listening to Dom's advice, I personally increased my training fees by 300%. Dom has twice been a guest on this podcast and earlier this year, direct response marketing strategist Dan Kennedy called Dom Europe's number one business coach of dog trainers, professional dog walkers and pet sitters. You can book a place at Dom's next event, Impact, the Pet Business Marketing Success Summit by going to www.growyourpetbusinessfast.com dot com slash impact or check out his free 33 ideas at www.growyourpetbusinessfast.com slash 33 ideas i've also recently started to offer online video call consultations both for dog trainers and dog owners that want help with a particular problem or maybe you just want some guidance here's one of my most recent reviews from die I had my second call with Nick last Friday and these sessions have been really helpful to me. I'm very new to training and by talking about my clients with Nick, I'm gaining confidence and reassurance that I'm on the right track. Thank you. Well, thanks, Di. I really appreciate the lovely review. And if you're thinking about taking the next step and you want to book a video call with me, then you can do that at nickbenger.com slash book. Today, I'm talking to Nake Florin. Nake is a Mondio Ring decoy and has attended multiple competitions with national and international judges. In 2015, he moved from Romania to the UK to continue his career as a pet dog trainer, and now he works at Battersea Dogs Home and travels the country teaching Mondio Ring workshops. So let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Nick. Uh, thanks for coming on. It's really awesome to have you. Yeah, finally, finally, we managed to to do it. Yeah, it's another one that has taken a little while to to kind of get us going, but I'm really glad to have you here because obviously we. Well, the first time I came across you was when we did that uh, introduction to Mondio Ring workshop. Yeah, it was uh, which was 2018 January. Freezing. <laughs> yeah. Well freezing for the rest of you because i was running all over the place so yeah that's true. i was not freezing yeah that's true we get to that because uh, i know that fitness is like a really big part of mondio and yeah 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 that's correct and what i want to talk about you know i want to get to the, the to what is mondio ring but first i want to start it off start this off with you because when i was kind of doing my research i noticed that you seem to have got into mondio ring and then became a decoy pretty quickly right like you started in 2012 and then became a decoy in 2013 right yeah yeah that's correct so how how did that happen how did how did you get involved and then go to being a decoy in such a short space of time uh well before i was uh i was actually involved with the sport uh i was involved with dog training i had a few years with dog training uh before that 
so when I actually got came across monitoring, I did have, uh, I would say, a decent level of experience with dogs. Uh, and I'm talking about obedience or uh, dog behavior problems or uh, different types of, uh, let's say, sports. I was a bit aware of IPO and I was doing a bit of agility sometimes. So I did have a, um, how do I say it, uh, a decent background in, in being involved with dogs. Um, so when I came across Mondioring, uh, it, it just opened up a, you know, a different, a different, uh, world to me because, uh, I used to play football when I was, when I was younger. So I like being, I like to do, you know, sports and being athletic and stuff like that. So as a decoy in Mondioring, that involves being, uh, being, uh, athletic and, and being, you know, physically involved and mentally involved at the same time. So it was a, it was a, it was a good combination for me because, um, my preference as a, as having a dog are lively dogs with prey drive and, and I like working with them. And I, and I had, I had two Malinois, uh, before I came to, to England. Uh, so it was a good match for me. So the, the, it seems like it was a very short time between when I actually started with Mondioring and how soon I got to be, uh, you know, an international decoy. Uh, it, th- that's just because I had dog experience and, uh, when I was actually doing it, I was able to understand a bit more and, and faster and sooner when I was work, working with the dogs because I already had that experience with dogs. So what drew you towards it? Did you already have the Malinois? Was was that a, a factor in it? Uh, so, no, I didn't have the Malinois at that time. I had a, a female Rottweiler, uh, which is uh, it's actually the reason why, why I am today here. Uh, if I didn't have the, the female Rotti, I wouldn't probably be involved, be involved in, uh, in dog training. Uh, so basically because of that female rotty, I started working with dogs. Uh, and since I had her, I've, you know, came a long way. Uh, but when I started Mondioring, it started, yeah, in, uh, in, in 2012 and in 2013, I had my first Mali. Uh, it was a long wish to have a Mali, but Mali's sometimes you, you may think they require a bit of extra special attention, <laughs> especially, if, especially if you're on the sports. Uh, so I, I wanted first to experience the sports to see if I like it or not, um, to see how, how I can handle it. Uh, and after I got involved in, in, you know, receiving all the, all the satisfaction from it, uh, it didn't take long for me to actually, to actually have a, my first Malinois. So when you had your female Rottweiler, what was it that drew you to dog training and then to Mondio? Was it that you had training problems that you thought yeah 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 so when i when i had my my female my female roti um she she had resource issues so i got her about i had her when she was two months and a half and uh i had i had an idea about dog training but at that age my idea about dog training was sit down come here and walk to hill so that was it that was dog training for me and when I came across resources, uh, resource issues, I was like, hang on a minute. This is not sit. This is not down. This is, <laughs> this is different. And, uh, I needed someone to, to help me with that. So, uh, uh, I've done my research about, uh, trainers and stuff like that. So at that time, uh, there weren't reviews. There weren't, uh, things that you can, uh, come across very easily. So I had to speak with people that were, uh, in, in this kind of, uh, of area. And I had uh, the references of a, of a very, good dog behaviorist um which came to came to my house and um i told him what what the problem was with my rottweiler he did something with my rottweiler and i was 
stunned and amazed of the fact that he was able to make the dog uh, stop ha- stop having those reactions when she was eating, and he was able to be around her. And at three months, she was biting her food if you are near the food. Uh, and in the session that I had with him, um, he was able to be around her. She did. She was relaxed. She uh, ate peacefully and, and quietly. At some point, he gave her a little stroke, and she was fine with it. Um, so after that session, he kind of gave me uh, like a homework, and he said, "I give you a month, see how how you get on, and then give me a call back, and I'll come back and see it again." So in that month, I remember I practiced every single day <laughs> uh, um, towards that issue. And uh, when he came back to see her, he was, you know, he was satisfied with the fact that I continued the work and stuff like that. So then after that episode, I took a break for about two months when I, I lost contact with him. And then I received a call from him when he invited me to help him with some dogs uh, filming a, a music video. So I went there and since that day, I became like his apprentice. So I, I started hanging out with him, and I think I stayed with him for about a year. Uh, I was a volunteer for a year, um, in which I managed to come across all sorts of dogs and all sorts of behaviors, and he explained everything. And my advantage was that he was working with the dog, and then halfway through the session, he said, Nick, there you go, here's the lead, now you practice. And I was doing it. I, w- I was learning for myself, and I was teaching the dog at the same time. Um and after that, you know, everything everything started to, to blow up a bit for me. I started to have my own customers. I ended up having my own company, which I've done a lot of, of things with back in Romania. Um, but yeah, the Rottweiler, the resource issues, that trainer, which was my mentor for uh, a year, a year and a bit. Uh, and that's how I got involved with it. Yeah, that's really interesting because it seems like you had a lot of success in a short period of time, right? Uh, you know, you became a decoy and then you were doing these big international competitions. So was that when you got interest from England and, and, and then you moved over here? No. So the story with England is, is, uh, quite funny and quite random to be honest. Um, because, uh, I had a, I still have a friend back in Romania. She was initially my customer and then she was my friend. She's a, she's a vet and I used to help her with her own dogs. And in 2015, uh, I was already a decoy and I was already, you know, I've been to Belgium and I've done competitions in Romania and Belgium as well. Uh, so I had a big background besides monitoring. I had, uh, I used to, you know, go to crafts in Romania. I used to show dogs. So I've done a bit of, of everything because I wanted to, you know, have a taste of, of, uh, kind of every area in dog training. Uh, but in 2015, she wanted to make uh, a form of charity, uh, for herself, uh, to help street dogs in Romania and she had a, a whole concept of it and uh, she asked me if I can help her and I said yeah obviously I'll, I'll, I'll help you uh, but with the um, legislation part in Romania she needed my uh, my CV which I've done it in Romania and then she also asked if uh, if I can do one in English so I've done one in English and I remember I remember I was talking with my my girlfriend at that time which is my wife today uh, and I said I've just done, I've just done my CV in English. I want to have a, I want to give it, I want to have like a test. I, I just want to see if in the UK are, there are, uh, jobs in dog training and I'll just apply for one just to see how the experience was. Uh, and I, I remember I, I applied in one night and the second day I got the reply, uh, when, when they've read, uh, everything about me, 
uh, and they they did show a lot of interest in me um, and the way they approached me was very professional they've uh, invited me for an online interview which I've done uh, and then they said we really like you uh, can you send us a video of you doing dog training so I've sent a video with my Mali which again they liked uh, and then they said can you come and see our facilities and we can talk about uh, see if we can work together so they've paid for my flight ticket that was uh, you know from a from a professional point of view you you appreciate those kind of things uh, so they paid for my flight ticket flight ticket I came here for about two days had a chat with the people, um, and they say we can give you this. Uh, I had some time to think about it, and I said, okay, I'll give it a go. I just wanted to experience something else as well, and that's how I came to that's how I came to England. So it was more. It started more like a, I just want to see what will happen if I if I expose myself in in that area. And second day, you know, straight answer and a lot of interest. So, what was your English like at that time? Uh, Pretty much the same as, as Oh, you now. still have pretty good English then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. how did that feel then when you when you got this interest from from them after just kind of sending the CV off on a whim? Well, it wasn't it wasn't surprising for me because uh, every time I've done something in in dog training, the personal thing, feeling that I had was uh, my own thing was I need to succeed regardless of if it's. 60% or 100% or 80%, I need to make something different. I need to make a, a change. And when I've been abroad, I've been to Bulgaria and I've been to Belgium as well. I had success. So that in, the interest that they showed me, it didn't surprise me, but it pleased me. So I wasn't, you know, wow, look at this. I've never experienced this before. Uh, but just the approach and, and the way they, they, they behave with me uh, pleased me more than surprised me. And that's why I decided to, to give it a go. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Um, I can I can just imagine. I, I think that's the case with any job, isn't it? Where you, when you get the uh, the response back, like it's just kind of like a excitement, and I would imagine that would be magnified even more when it's like moving to a different country and uh, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the the change the change was massive because I had to at that time when I when I decided to came, to come to England, I had my own company. Uh, b- besides, you know, having a company in which you're providing services like dog training and stuff like that i was uh, i was working with um with dog items toys and clickers and stuff like that so i was i was bringing them in um and then i had my own store and etc so i was expanding a lot back in romania so uh it was a big change for me but i said i wanted to to give it a go just because i that's how i felt at that time and uh we, uh, luckily for me my my uh, my wife um, was supportive and she said if you do it I'll, I'll come with you so it was uh, from this point of view it was it was alright so yeah it was a mi- massive change because I left all my friends all my family back there um, and it's luckily both me and my wife we speak English uh, very well I think yeah and it was a lot easier for us so we didn't have the language barrier when we came here and then how did it happen that you ended up now working at Battersea so when I came to England, uh, I came for the interview and then I had three weeks to come back and actually start the job. Um, and then I came, I started the job and it took me about a year, a year and a bit just to get fam- familiar with how England is uh, from a legal point of view, from, uh, you know, from a social point of view, from how crazy this traffic is around here, etc. <laughs> Every, everything that you can think of, it takes it takes a lot, a lot of time. 
And you may think that you're ready after about three, four months, but then you come across something that surprises you and then, uh, then you're not. So uh, the company that uh, I used to work for, uh, I stayed there for about uh, almost three years. And um, I started as a, as a talk trainer. That was, the, that was the position. Then about a year later, uh, I ended up being the head trainer. I was assistant manager for a period for a for a short period of time, uh, but I was made head trainer at that uh, at that specific company, um, and I f- I felt after about three years that I needed a change. Uh, so the the Battersea um, opportunity came across. Um, Joe Rosie and, and Nando, I had a chat with them as well uh, because they've been they've been working with. Uh, with Battersea and they gave me good feedback. Um, so I said, well, the environment is not different because I was working for a company which had kennels and was providing dog training. Uh, Battersea has a, has a, has a similar concept. It's a rescue. Uh, there are kennels. I was, a, I was familiar with the environment. So the change wasn't drastic for me. Uh, but Battersea, it's, it's a big organization. It's something really, really incredible for, uh, uh, uh for what I've experienced from it. It's a really, really um, awesome place to be in. And it gives you a lot. At the same time, you have to give a lot back. And it's a, it's a win-win situation. So uh, in my vision, I went from something at a certain level and moved forward uh, to, to a different level. So, so yeah. And, you know, you couldn't miss an opportunity to work with one of the biggest uh, rescues in, in, in Europe and uh, Battersea is, is probably one of them. Yeah, no, thanks so much for kind of sharing your story because I know from talking to other people that listen to this podcast, you know, the, the stories of how people became dog trainers is one of the things that really resonates with people. And I think that you kind of have a unique take having moved country and now working for this, you know, like world-renowned organization in rescue. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think exactly. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people, and and for people that kind of maybe have similar hopes and dreams, like that's a, a great story. Yeah, and, and you know, every everyone has has their own personal preferences when they want to uh, when they want to do things in in their uh, work area. Uh, a lot of people ask me, uh, "Well, you're a Mondial decoy. You do you work with bite uh, work and stuff like that. Why don't you do your own thing?" So uh, it's for me, it's. I started with this, with dog behavior and with dog training. So working with normal pet dogs and working with dogs that display, you know, dog aggression or human aggression, etc., etc. And I've been on the other side as well, where you actually embrace those behaviors and you use them in a different way, or you channelize them in a different way. So I, I kind of have experience in, in both ways, and it's hard for me to decide where, <laughs> where to, where to deeply step in. But, you know, I'm, I'm 30 years old. I think I can do both. Physically, I'm 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 doing well, <laughs> and and it you know all the experience that I had in this time it it did help me to to be able to be in both areas without mixing them, uh, and uh, when it's not the case and uh, and and at the same time at, you can be at the other extreme when one area helps the other. Yeah, I've, I've someone's told me that recently as well that they felt like their experiences in bite work sports really helped them with the aggression cases, particularly because... Yeah. Yeah, because they felt like yeah, they it, could see... They felt like they'd had experience seeing that kind of behavior 
much more frequently than most people would ever have the opportunity to do. Yeah, it it, it does. So, and and the way I, I, I like to think of it is, uh, you know, a dog behaviorist and a, a dog behaviorist or a dog trainer uh, gets a case of a, uh, a dog at one year old, which you expect to be lively, friendly, that sees another dog and goes wild on the lead and stuff like that. So the first intention and the first reaction and the first, you know, thought is I need to stop that behavior. I need to change that behavior into something else. When with bite work, you need to explore that behavior. So you know where it's going and you know where, what limits dogs can have and you know what skills and abilities they have and where, what will be the le- level of that uh, the behavior that can be displayed. So having both sides of the knowledge, you know where you can use the skills that you have in one side and apply them in uh, in the other bit. So for me personally, especially now that I I, um, I, I work at Battersea, having all that experience with, with bite work and uh, how a dog competes and how a dog has to focus and how a dog and how a dog has to uh, you know maintain his stamina etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, it really helps me with pet dogs especially in a in a, a rescue environment as well as it did help me back in in the previous company that I worked with um, so yeah it does it does help you to have uh, well more experiences it's better than no experience, right? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, sure. So for people that haven't had much experience with bite work, or particularly Mondio Ring, what is Mondio Ring? Well, I can say Mondio Ring is awesome. That's, <laughs> that's the first line I can, I can say. Uh, so uh, Mondio Ring, is, it's a sport which is, uh, if, you, if you lay your eyes the first time on Mondio Ring, you'll think, wow, that's the flexibility that the dog displays in the exercises it's uh, it's it's incredible uh because you get other dog sports which uh for example like ipo where everything is at the thinnest line possible everything is so precise and everything has to be um so mathematical calculated but with monitoring um it's 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 very flexible and you can see the, the point of monitoring is to see um the dog's genetical legacy because they, they, they breed dogs to for this sport and they have there are dogs which were, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago very good at this sport and they still have uh you know, puppies today from other puppies, from other puppies which are in the sport and people are still looking for those bloodlines because that certain bloodline had a high chase drive, that was a bit more balanced, that was uh, a bit more calm, etc. etc. Another thing that Mondioring will allow you to see as a as a spectator or or as a uh, as a person who would like to do it will be to see the quality of the training because dog training the way I see it is changing every single day every single day there, there, there's something new there's a new research etc etc so when you uh, when you do something uh, like a like a Mondioring like 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 a sport like monitoring, where you know what the end result should be. The way you get there will allow you to see what the quality of the training was when you actually see the dog performing. Because there are exercises uh, like, uh, for example, retrieving the stick that the handler touched. So there's an exercise in monitoring where there are three uh, pieces of wood laid on the ground and you, you as a handler get a new one, you touch it, and which uh, gets your scent on it, and then you you place it in between the other three, and the dog has to retrieve the one that you've touched. So when we started, we were 
when we started monitoring back in Romania, we, we were thinking of ways of doing the, doing this. And then we went to Belgium for a couple of seminars, and one guy showed us a certain technique, and we were like, oh well, we didn't think of it of this, but it bloody worked <laughs> very quickly, and the dog gets the point very very quickly. So uh, seeing those kind of things, and that was just one place we went. Going to different other places, you'll discover new things. Uh, and at the same time, the sport will allow you to, uh, as a handler, to discover your dog a bit better. Because you know that when you're getting a dog to do this kind of sport, you'll have to give him a different lifestyle. Uh, and will force you, will, not will force you, will make you be a better handler and a better uh, dog owner, if that makes any sense. Um, and like I said, like, as a spectator, it's, it's, it's a spec, it's a, it's a sport which is very spectacular if you're into, um, into watching dogs performing different things. Because the dog has to display obedience, has to display, f- uh, physical effort with the jumps, and also have to be uh, brave and has to do all the bite work bits, which are getting heavier and, and more, much more difficult which, with each level that goes, that goes up. Yeah, I have those three categories in mind and I want to kind of go through the exercises that they mm-hmm. consist of. But also you touched on something there, which I've certainly found to be the case. Um, when I was looking into the kind of different sports out there, the thing that really drew me to Mondio is it just seems so much more entertaining than a lot of the other stuff. You know, I think mm-hmm. that uh, people that aren't interested in or aren't like deeply interested in a sport for them to watch uh, like an obedience or even like a Schutzhund IPO or whatever they're calling it now. Uh, yeah. Um, event, like it can be a little bit boring. It can be a little bit slow. And, but with Mondio, like the way that they mix it up and the way that they have like themes and stuff like that, really, it's just, it's, it's really fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. So it's, you you have to be very creative when you when you when you do monitoring and like I said it 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 makes every every monitoring club or every monitoring um, handler to be as creative as as he can be for its dog which will make you a bet in my vision will make you a better dog trainer because you you may not know a few things but it will make you think how do I get to that level of performance from my dog when I know that my dog is at is is at this level. Um, so to make it a bit more clear, monitoring has three uh, levels, level one, level two, level three. Um, obviously, from one, it gets more difficult to uh, level two. And then from level two to level three, it gets even more difficult for the dog. Uh, and the first thing that you'll notice will be the the length of time in the exam. So level one, it's not short, but... It's shorter than level two, and level two is it's shorter than than level three. So even from a from a physical point of view, the dog has to perform um, perform very well. And yeah, when when someone is organizing a a, a monitoring um, competition, you get the chance to choose themes. Uh, it can be anything, beach. It can be um, uh, auto service. It can be. Uh, I don't know, at the doctors, it can be at the farm, it can be absolutely anything. So you, you'll have items on the um, on the field related to the, th- the theme that you're choosing. And, you know, for some dogs, it can, the, the reasoning behind it is because, um, for example, I'll give you an, exa- uh, an example, which probably it will help to, to understand a bit better. My Mali, my, my, my male Malinois, 
he was obsessed with plastic bottles. If I had a theme with him when I was competing that involved a lot of bottles, I would have been in a lot of trouble. <laughs> See, so that, that's the reasoning behind behind the theme because you'll get different objects. My, I remember my first first exam was um, auto mechanics, so there were a lot of tires uh, on the field, dumped cars, etc., etc., and stuff like that. So it's it's really interesting. That's why. You never know what you're gonna get into. So the the, the competitors they don't know um, what what they're going to be exposed to uh, until they're very very close to uh, until the you know the monitoring competition it's announced. And that makes the training really difficult, right? Like I've seen videos of dogs having to do the object guard while they're like blowing a leaf blower and all of this kind of stuff. And I imagine that trying to train your dog. Like, if you're training a dog, the idea of, of um, practicing with a leaf blower is never going to come into your head, right? <laughs> like, so that must be really difficult to, to train for. It's, it's, you have to think of how difficult can I make it and can my dog actually take all this pressure in? Uh, so in terms of how you're going to train your dog to, to be a successful monitoring dog, it's really up to you and up to you, up to your concept of working. Um, I think we, I think I talked about this in, in the first Mondial presentation. There are, uh, different ways of, of, of working, but these are concepts. So not, I'm not talking about techniques of doing sit down at distance, etc. I said, these are, these are, um, concepts of actually working with your dog. So one, one concept which is very, very used is your dog, uh, your monitoring dog at about, um, 18 months, 19 months, 20 months should be able to do all level, uh, should be able to do monitoring level three. This is one concept of working. So at a very young age, you need to go through absolutely everything. Although when you're going to start competing, you're going to start with one. You cannot join level three straight away. Um, or a different way will be, I'm going to train for level one, compete, take it. Now I'm moving to level two, compete, uh, be successful. And then I'm moving to level three, which it takes a lot of time. And it really depends up to the dog's, um, again, ability and genetical legacy or to the handler's preference, because some of them prefer, you know, they're a bit more, uh, systematic as in, I'm going to do level one, compete. I, I'm succeeding. Then I'm moving to level two, uh, but the others prefer, let's get my dog through it. And if the dog helps them, like I said, it's, this system is very, very used um, in, 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 in a lot of people who practice monitoring. So for level one, what exercises are people expected to do? So you've got obedience and you've got jumps and then obviously you've got, um, you've got the bite work bit. With uh, obedience, uh, you've got um, walking to heel next to the handler. You've got food refusal. Uh, you've got the dog needs to wait uh, with distraction. You've got retrieve. And then you've got send away. With the jumps at level one, you can you can choose between uh, palisade and uh, the jump, like uh, the jump like in IPO where the dog has to jump over uh, over the obstacle. What was the other option, sorry? Uh, the palace, the palace, the one that the dog climbs on it and then lands on the other side. Oh, okay. Okay. So at level one, you get to choose, uh, one of them. Uh -huh. 
uh, and then you've got um, the bite work bit, bite work bit, which is uh, the, the frontal stick attack, uh, and also you've got defense of the handler and uh, fly attack or the, the gun attack. You you may call it sometimes. Right. So I can just imagine people listening in and kind of like who aren't familiar with this, and, and when you're saying that their dogs are going to be attacked with sticks and guns. <laughs> it, 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 sounds, it sounds intimidating when you, when you, when you hear it, <laughs> when you read it, but it's actually, it's actually not, it's not the case, especially in, in level one. Uh, so the stick attack, if I can describe it better, the dog has to perform bite work in a situation where the decoy has a stick in its hand, and the moment the dog is going to get very close to the decoy, the decoy is, is just going... He, he, the decoy is allowed to move the stick before the dog comes very close to him. But just just about when the dog is about to actually perform the bite work, the decoy will place the stick in between him and the dog. And what the judge needs to see is the dog being able to break that, that barrier that the decoy has created and perform the bite work. Obviously, when the dog starts biting the decoy that's when every decoy uh starts what we call it working the dog and that's when you add pressure as a decoy you can move the stick you can move yourself as a decoy um in in a way that feels more natural for the decoy so every do- every decoy is different i'm i i for example i'm i'm quite um intense when i when i'm working with in in exams so i like to move the stick a lot and I like to move myself a lot. And this will, I know it, it's gonna keep the dog into that prey drive quite, quite high. Uh, but it's, it's my, my style of working. I've seen other decoys being, um, they, they weren't moving that much. But again, it's every, it's up to every decoy's personal, personal preference. What's the deal with a stick? Because I think that a lot of pet people, they see the videos of uh, people doing the bite work with a stick and they kind of have this immediate reaction that, you know, they think the dog's getting beaten up with a stick basically. is. It... <laughs> what's, what's going on there? Uh, the idea with the stick is when, uh, when the dog, for example, is at distance from the decoy and is near the handler, and when the when the judge is allowing the dog to is allowing the handler to give the cue to the dog to go and perform the bite work, the idea of the stick will be um, one to create to for the decoy to make himself a bit bigger if that makes any sense to extend himself because when it moves his hands higher and higher above his head, that having the stick in your hand it kind of at distance creates the illusion that you're a bigger target and then half a second later that bigger target disappear because the stick is down. Uh, it also uh, allows the decoy to uh, create a sound that will technically put a bit of pressure on the dog. Some dogs, you know, maybe naturally sound sensitive, but that's that's where the training comes in, in place for the dog. Uh, as a decoy, you're not allowed to uh, hit the dog with the stick. Um, in categories one, in categories two, in level two and three, um, there may be moments where the dog touches the stick, but that's the difference. The dog touches the stick. You don't touch the dog with the stick if if it makes, uh, if it makes sense. So you can use the stick as a, as a form of putting pressure on the dog, as a form of, uh, making yourself bigger. And it's, it's an extra, 
layer of, of, of help for the decoy to actually show the, the judge if the dog is ready or not to, to perform the bite work exercise. Right, so the dog is never hurt with a stick? No, never, never. Uh, You're not allowed. Uh, you will be a very bad decoy. If you <laughs> <laughs> I just want to go through the objections that I know that some people have to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know that the other one that people worry about is, hey, you know, if I'm training my dog to bite someone that's got one of these sleeves on or or whatever, am I going to encourage my dog to bite people? Or am I going to end up with an aggressive dog? Monitoring is a, it's a sport. So when you think of sport, you think of games. When you think of games, you think of pleasure. So that's what we're trying to, to do with the dogs. Um, it's it's all a game for the dog. It's the, the same way people back at home play uh, tug. They're tugging with their dog. We're just doing it with Amali, but our target, it's a bit bigger and it covers us as decoys. And obviously being a bigger target, you, you must have a... Uh, how do I say it? You must have um, a bigger chance to protect yourself, if that makes sense, as a decoy, which will obviously test uh, the dog's bravery and courage to perform that exercise. Uh, so it's it's all just a game. It's all just pleasure and fun for the dog. Uh, a lot of a lot of the the dogs in Mondoring, they are they are pet dogs back at home. They live with children. They they go and they and they do things. Uh, I remember I've done with my Mali demonstrations for um, for primary schools and for uh, high schools and, and things like that. So I was able to do to take my my dog in a crowd in a crowd full of uh, ten years old and fifteen years old and and and, and kids and, and teenagers and perform exercises like uh, obedience at distance and retrieve and maybe biting a bit on a, on a certain pillow. And it's still for the dog probably was going through a phase. Oh, we're doing monitoring exercises in this environment. The audience saw a dog which was performing different things. So it's 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 all just a game. It's it's it's, it's not the case of uh, my, this sport will make uh, uh, my dog aggressive, because another thing that they need to think about is the dog will perform bite work in competitions, but he cannot perform it if he's not under control. So for the dog to actually reach the level of performing those exercises he needs to be under control because the dog doesn't just go on the field sees the guy in the in the in the decoy suit and goes i'm gonna bite you now because i want to obviously the, the dog will get stimulated by the presence of the of the decoy in the suit uh, but he has to do it when the handlers is telling him to do it and at the same time he has to come back when the handler is telling him to do it so there's a lot of conditioning there's a lot of control in in the dogs uh, it's not it's not a wild sport. It's not it's nothing uh, uncontrollable because if the dog displays that he's not able to control himself or he's not um, following the the, the handler's um, guidance and instruction, the dog is not going going to succeed in that specific exam. Right, like the the all of the equipment involved and the setting all becomes a cue for the dog, doesn't it? You know, the dog knows when it's in playing the game and when it's not and i think you make a great point there about sports right like people go out and they go to like boxing clubs but they don't you know they don't walk out the door and just start hitting people in the face right exactly exactly (laughs) you know there are some rules there are some things you need to follow you need to prepare first so uh uh, so yeah it's it's um it's, it's all under control and it's nothing that will turn any dog uh, you know, aggressive. It, it will improve their ability to 
to perform a bite. It will be, it will make their their bite a bit stronger. It it will make um, their process of thinking where and how they need to bite when they when they come across certain difficulties presented by the decoy. But this come this, this comes with every sport. Every sport has its own difficulty, and uh, even with agility, you've got dog needs to jump over some things, needs to go through a tunnel, needs to go through those sticks where he has to 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 wave in between them. Even with IPO, every uh, dog dancing, the dog needs to follow the rhythm of the handler. Every dog has its own, um, let's say, difficulty in its way. Um, but monitoring, it's a it's a it's a sport that is. Uh, that aims for uh, certain type of of behaviors which are naturally exposed by the dogs. That's why you see a lot of Belgian Malinois in in Mondioring. Um I have friends in Romania which they were very stubborn and they they wanted to do Mondioring. One one of my friends has done it with a Doberman, and uh, one of my other friends, uh, which they are both international decoys as well, he's done it with a Rottweiler. Uh, I remember when I was in Belgium, I've I've competed with um, Dutch shepherds. Uh, I've seen cattle dogs doing it. I've seen uh, uh, bouviers doing it. So it's it's a bit of of flexibility. So if you're uh, if you're keen enough, you can you can take a Doberman and crack on. So it's not uh, Mondioring Malinois, but the dog has to have the physical and mental ability to to go through everything and um, and and actually perform in the sport. So, so it's not limit. It's not limited, but you have to be very creative into into getting into the sport as well. So, can you take those different breeds and can you take them to level three, or is it a case of kind of like because there are certainly going to be some limitations, right? Like it's very unlikely that you're going to take a cat dog and like win the uh, you know world championships or whatever it is. <laughs> it's very unlikely that, but no one's going to stop you from trying. <laughs> And and again, you making when you when we're talking about breeds. Uh, let's say, for example, you uh, you take a, a Malinois, which can jump very high and etc. etc. Because he's physically prepared and genetically built to to perform those level of physical exercises. And then you have, let's say, a heavier dog. You have a Rottweiler, which is which his body is a bit more robust. He's heavier which will make the jump a bit more difficult for him. So if a Malinois will succeed with uh, the jumping exercises with maximum points, um, if a Rottweiler is heavier, he may not succeed. And, you know, I'm not trying to, to make the Malinois better than the Rottweiler, but um, if you take the, the breed physical construction, you, you, you see an obvious difference, which why a certain one will be more uh, inclined to, perf- to perform and succeed in that area than the other so it's, it's th- that's just the case with it but uh like i said at the, uh, like i said uh, earlier the dog naturally has to display the ability of performing uh those kind of things and yeah malinois and, and german shepherds and uh, and dutch shepherds are naturally predisposed to basically bite because that <laughs> that's what's all about yeah uh they're naturally predisposed to do those kind of things and you just take it and you put it into into a, a, a healthier atmosphere and dynamic for them. So can you use any dog? Can it be a mixed breed or does it have to be a pedigree dog? It has to be a, it has to be a FCI registered dog. So there are certain regulations there as well. 
Right. But I guess you can still train with a mixed breed dog, right? Like you can. No one's gonna stop you to to train with the to train in the sport. Uh-huh. But when it comes to competing, you there are certain regulations that you need to 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 be under. Uh, your dog has to have a um, a socialization socialization exam before, so you cannot just go into uh, into monitoring straight away. Um, it has to be physically fit. It has to be it has to have a certain age. Uh, to to compete for the first time, so there are things in in place before starting with monitoring, uh, but practicing the sport and practicing the exercise in it, it doesn't really stop anyone. I've seen you know social media is all over the place and videos come come and pop up all over, and I've seen uh, I've seen a little Chihuahua doing IPO retrieving. Uh-huh. I mean, he's not gonna compete with a Chihuahua, but it doesn't. It doesn't stop him from he, throwing that that dumbbell and then the chihuahua bringing it back and positioning himself next to next to the handler's foot. <laughs> it's so funny you bring that up because we have a little chihuahua cross and he is so tenacious when it comes to playing tug. Like he, he honestly is like a, uh, he, you know, he is like a proper working dog in a tiny little body. He just gives it his absolute all playing tug. And I've been so tempted to bring him along to one of these workshops just as a just as a laugh. Well, next time I see you, I'll I'll put my suit on and we'll give it a go. Honestly, you would. I think <laughs> I think it would really make you laugh because he uh, he won't let go for anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's good to know. I need to extra p- prepare for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you wear extra extra protection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So to jump back to some of the exercises yeah. that we spoke about, I want to go for, obviously, you know, when I first met you, Nick, like this was yeah. a whole day event going through the rules and the exercises and stuff. So obviously in a podcast, we don't have time to go through everything. Yeah. But I want to kind of talk about some of the ones that really stand out. So like one that stands out to me, because I can imagine people going, how the hell am I going to do that? Is like the mm-hmm. the food refusal. Right, like mm-hmm. for a lot of people have dogs that are really food motivated, and the idea of their dog not taking food is unbelievable. Right, like how do you go about training something like that? Uh, like I said, it's it's every everyone's uh, concept of of uh, of of doing things, and if you if you think of it, um, there are so many ways in which you, in which you can do it. Um, I can tell you the way I, I, I like to do it. I can tell you a way that other people like to do it. It's just a matter of discovering what works for your dog and how good as a handler you can, uh, you can provide that information for, uh, for your dog. Uh, you can, and you, you have to be creative as a, as a, as a dog trainer. And this is where my experience as as doing dog behavior and, and, and other dog training bits uh, comes in hand. You have to be you have to be creative. You, you you want your dog to refuse something that you would normally give it to him. So you have to think of the of the context that the the exercise is going to be to be displayed in. Uh, dog is going to be laid down. Uh, the handler is not going to be there, and someone just appears um, and suddenly drops. A piece of food in front of the dog. A way you can do it is by practicing that without the food. And every time that person appears, you as a handler step in and do something else with the dog, or congratulate the dog, or praise the dog for not paying attention to 
the person that has just came in. There are so many ways in which you in which you can do it. You just have to know your dog. You know, you just have to know what your dog can and cannot do. And it's 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 more than it's more than easy. Think of <coughs> think of think of recall. A lot of people want their dogs to come back when they're playing with other dogs. So if you think of food, what you just said earlier, they want to get the dog to work for food, but how do they refuse? How do make, how do they make the dog to refuse the food? Well, compare com- compare the situation with I, I want my dog to socialize with other dogs, but I want him to come back when I call him. So it's similar. It's a form of stimulation that you you, you want your dog to come away from. Right. And again, it's it, it's it's working about it's thinking about the concept of actually doing things. Most people would have taught their dogs like a leave it, right? Is is it similar to that, but but maybe with more of like the context signals to the. It's dog. more about the context because with food refusal, you you put your dog in a static position, you put your dog in in lay down, and uh, you're not there anymore. You go and hide, and the dog has to refuse the food without you being there. So, so you can say leave it in your mind as much as you want, but not, <laughs> your dog will, will not be able to to be there and hear uh-huh. you. And obviously, in, in training, you can you can start with leave it, but then you you go to a level in in training where someone comes and puts the foot foot down, and you don't have to say leave it, and you and you then practice that level consistently. And then when you're having when you have enough confidence that okay, my dog can do this in every situation, your dog is ready for that exercise. That's why it gives you enough time to practice that specific exercise um, which you're talking about. Right. So it's kind of like a, a transferal of cues, right? Like you maybe, well, we're getting into methods, right? And I know you said there's like lots of different ways people do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people choose to train in a certain way or a, or a different way. Uh, so I cannot really tell you what, uh, how to do it. Mm-hmm. I can I can tell you ways in even if you come up with a with a certain scenario I can think of ways around that around that specific scenario so it all goes with how the dog is maybe you you've got a, a dog which is not really interested in food what do you do then you've got an exercise done without working or maybe you've got a dog which is obsessed with food and then you've got a lot more work to do in that exercise well when when we met um we were doing the kind of bite work portion of Mondio and kind of just kind of introducing the dogs to the kind of um, elements, just biting the, do you still call it? It's it's like a leg sleeve, right? Yeah. Yeah. It it was a leg sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. um, And the dog that I brought, I was actually kind of secretly chuffed because um, we, I, so I brought a Doberman and um, my kind of speciality and the thing I always talk about is engagement, right? Like I want the dog to be interested in me over everything else. And, it kind and of I obviously saw that it completely backfired <laughs> because when I when we walked out and you know you have your big sleeve on and you're trying to get him to come to you he just sat in front of me and stared at me which made me look like a bit of a, a knob but secretly it was kind of proud because we'd worked on all of those kind of skills so much mm-hmm. but to mm-hmm. get to the point the way that you handled that was quite interesting because you were talking about you know um you're talking about me starting to play tug with him and then we transferred over to you, right? Do you remember yeah. that? Is that something yeah, yeah. that you use a lot? I remember everything. I remember we started, um, I started working with, uh, with a Doberman that you had and uh, after testing him for a couple of minutes, 
I saw there was there was a, a tiny bit of interest when the dog started to uh, you know get a bit into that zone or oh, something's moving I need to chase it but then the dog went hang on a minute I, I kind of recognize this I actually need to stay next to him uh, and then I've tried to have a bit more of a, of a natural approach I had if you remember I had uh, another dog uh, somewhere um, in into the same field trying to do it do, trying to do it with that dog yeah and that dog Nando, naturally Nando tried. worked his yeah, dog yeah, yeah exactly exactly and that didn't um get your dog your dog's interest which saying saying that now congratulations you've done a very good job of, yeah. <laughs> thank you nick i was dead chuffed because yeah from then, my perspective right like and then the only thing that that remained for me was if he's not doing it with me he must do it with him uh-huh. and when you started engaging with him the dog was like yep of uh-huh. course i'll do it okay. and once i saw the dog got a bit relaxed and a bit uh, more than interested into into performing in that, it was a lot more easier for me to step in and actually take it from there. And that that would have been just the first step, a couple of more sessions like that, and the third or the fourth time he would have seen me, I'm gonna play with you this time. Yeah, right. So probably in, in some way you would have undone a bit your training. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's okay because it is just what the dogs learn, right? Like he's just learned to when there are distractions around, focus on Nick. But what we would have taught him uh, if we would have carried on is, you know, in this situation, actually, I want you to go and uh, play with Nate. Exactly. Exactly. Which was something that uh, by the sound of it, he hasn't really experienced or you've been working on on him not to take that decision. Uh, And for him, it was a bit surprisingly how how come you're not saying anything. Uh, You're not uh, there to help him. You're not there to uh, step in and give him a different option. And he was like, well, I'm not sure what to do right now. Uh-huh. So he was just like looking around. He got a bit excited at the beginning, but then that was it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you started actually working with him, he 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 got more engaged. Uh, and uh, uh, and yeah, but you've seen other dogs at the seminar as well. They were different. The approach was different with with all of them. So as a as as a decoy, when you work with dogs, you have to go by what the dog is offering you. Especially, especially in training. So the reason I brought that up, though, is because I wanted to know how you uh, deal with dogs that are hesitant to engage with you to play tug um, or to bite. You know, even if it's just like a toy tug, right? Like there's a lot of people that work with pet dogs that listen to this. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you work with those dogs that really, you know, don't show a lot of interest in that kind of thing? Well, I think that... uh... Prey drive is in every dog on this planet. Some of them, in, in some of them, it's more exposed and it's more uh, obvious than, than in others. Um, for me, it's, it's more about the dog physically experiencing uh, what chasing means. So if the dog doesn't want to chase items and stuff like that, I would like the dog to chase at least a piece of food. Or I would like the dog to, uh, if I'm if I'm running around, the dog to just start running with me. I just want him to physically experience what chasing means. And I've seen a lot of dogs that you, uh, they displayed it, uh, randomly. They went for a walk in the park and then they, they saw a bird, which was very close. And then that, that bird, that bird flew away. And then they started chasing it for like a few, few steps. And then you get the tug toy out on the rope and they were like, Nope, I'm not doing this. So the, the drive is there, but the dog displays it in a in a circumstance in that he prefers. So you just have to work with with what you have. Um, 
and like I said, for me, it's it's important for the dog to to experience that specific behavior, that that specific chase drive. And I used to I used to do this a lot with uh, with pet dogs. Uh, I used to when I used to just normal owners when they had uh, dogs that wanted them to teach sit and down and stay and stuff like that. I used to to use prey drive using food. I used to. Uh, take the take the food and show it to the dog, and then I used to run away from the dog. Dog was chasing me, and then when he was coming very close, I used to throw the food visibly for the dog to to see the food going. And the dog started chasing. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And then from that, the transition to a tennis ball, it was it was easy. And then from the tennis ball, you went to a small tuck toy, and then from a small tuck toy, you went to a bigger tuck toy, so on and forth. But this is where the genetical predisposition comes very obvious because when you're doing Mondio, uh, you get a two-month-old Malino on the field and you, you get a, a a towel and you move it left and right in front of the dog, he will grab that. <laughs> yeah, sure. He will grab it. But that, because that's genetically in in the dog. So like I said, when, when you know, pet owners are, are working with the dogs and, and they're not interested in, in, in toys and stuff like that, especially with toys that they really want to, to tug on. Uh, don't think about the toy. Think of how will my dog, how 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 can my dog experience uh, chasing th- chasing things? And the the easiest way is to do it with food. Just throw food around, and the dog will start experiencing that. And then uh, you can you can get the dog to a certain level where the dog will anticipate that okay, we're gonna I'm gonna chase now. And instead of the food, suddenly you get a small tuck toy and you throw it. And 95% of the of the of the situations the dog will go and will touch that item and then from that point it's just a lot more easier yeah it seems like there's some kind of like investigation that goes on you know you're trying to figure out uh what like you know sometimes we talk about like predatory chase sequence don't we you know like we, mm-hmm. we break it up and we try and figure out what part of this um game does the dog like and and you know once you've found that part i guess you can kind of hone in what it reminds me of, you're a big fan of Sherlock, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like Sherlock, isn't it? You kind of like have to look at this and, and invest, look at the dog and try and figure out the, the puzzle. Exactly. And, uh, it, <laughs> speaking of, of, of Sherlock, he has this thing where he, he calls theory of deduction. So it, it's a thing that surprisingly I, I, I like to use. I like, I like to, when, when I'm working with the dog, if the dog does something, I try to find why he's doing it and what the dog actually wants to do with it. And kind of using the theory of deduction and uh, deducting things, it will help me as a, as a decoy or as a, as a trainer to help the dog to have, you know, an evolution in, in, in his behavior. Yeah, it's a great analogy, I think, um, because it's a really cool way of looking at things, trying to observe because that's that's what behavior is all about, right? Like, you know, a lot of the time we get into this, like, mindset where we're trying to guess what the dog is thinking or what they're feeling. And oftentimes the best approach is just to look at the behavior, you know, what's working, and then go from there and try and figure out how we can use that in the way that we want to. Exactly. Uh, I've seen, and this, this you know, is coming across um, very easily in, in, in normal uh dog owners when they have the impression of oh my dog is really really dog aggressive 
and and then you go and you have a look at the dog and you just notice that the dog the dog just likes to be be in prey drive the dog just likes to do this this and that so the bigger picture from the outside and you know unexperienced eyes they see oh my god i really have a problem my dog is really bad and then a trainer gets there and just presses different buttons that the, the owners hasn't seen and then the dog suddenly doesn't do that anymore if finds find some find something other uh, um which is a lot more more beneficial so when you're talking about uh normal pet dogs an unexperienced eye will see something that may not be the case and when 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 people with experience go there they take that they take exactly what the dog is offering and and shape it and condition it and 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 bring it to a level where the dog is going to be i don't really care what's around me i just want you my dad my mom to to provide that for me because it's so fun it's so engaging and it's so satisfying at the same time well i know that with the kind of tug stuff it obviously it starts to go to a whole new level in mondio and one of the things that is really valued is this kind of um gripping but moving forwards i'm probably butchering Mm -hmm. this right like this um you know when the dog readjusts the grip you want the dog to move forwards right like, could mm-hmm. you explain a bit more about that? Like, why why did they like that Amondio ring? Uh, so, th- the basic idea behind it is that the judge will need to see the dog's desire to go and deal with the decoy. Uh, and from a again, from an outside outside point of view, you need to see the dog's. Um, you need if you have a a dog, a male dog. You need to see is is this something that his father did before? So one of the one of the things that they may look at like it's like I said the genetic legacy that that the dog has. Um, another thing will be so the dog goes and deals with the decoy and performs the bite work, but the judge wants to see desire and wants to see uh, the dog doing his best under all that pressure. And in terms of uh, technicalities. Uh, me as a decoy, my job in in competition, uh, in competitions is to show the judge that okay I can uh, put pressure on the dog, but the dog is still biting me. Now that he's biting me, I need to find a way to escape. I need to find a way to uh, kind of break the bite because that's why I move my legs and stuff like that, and I wave the stick to create that pressure. And if you if you think of it from a technical point of view, if the dog pushes and constantly searches for the leg which is inside inside the suit there's there are less chances for for the dog to lose the grip when i move my leg if the dog has the tendency of grabbing it and then pulls back if you look at the movement the mouth has the tendency of going away from the bite and that's a lot more easier for the decoy to actually break the bite which automatically will make the dog lose points yeah, and I guess that's kind of your job as a decoy, right? Like, especially at the exactly. higher levels. Exactly. And if you, if you, if you, let, let's say, let's put ourselves into a dog's brain. I'm running. I need to hit that target. And when I get there, I need to push it and push it and push it. If I'm going with the intention of biting and then take it to take it and go away with it, when I'm going to actually perform the biting on the impact with the decoy, I'll be hesitant because I'm already thinking I need to grab it fast and then take it away and run with it. So that's why in training, uh, with even with the tuck toys, the small ones, the pillows, the leg sleeves, the arm sleeves, 
when when the dogs as a as a young dog five months old six months old blah 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 they work and they bite and they resist the pressure and they they get uh the sleeve from the decoy but they get it when the, the mouth is full the dog is satisfied the dog has performed really well and if the dog you know na- the dog naturally will push or the dog will naturally pull or you can teach the dog to push or you can teach the dog to pull is that, a genet- so are, is that a genetic thing? Uh, in some dog, you, you you will see dogs at five months old. You 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 move them. You have an evolution into moving from one one item to another, uh, and you get to uh, uh, a five month old dog which will bite and push your leg and push your leg, and it's so calm on the bite. And you put the pressure, and the dog doesn't close his eyes, doesn't flinch. He's he's enjoying it. He's shaking a bit, but then he's constantly open, opening his mouth and pushing into your leg. And then you get the other extreme, where at five months old, uh, after having all the items as a decoy in your hand, you suddenly move them onto your body, and the dog gets it and bites it and experiences your body being a bit on top of it. The reaction, some some of the reaction in uh, in the dogs is, oh, this is weird, this is new, I need to I need to pull back, and it's yeah, for some of them it's genetically either pull or push, and there are also techniques in which you can work with uh, push I wouldn't recommend working with techniques of pulling to be honest Uh, unless you know the dog is genetically predisposed to do it and you're working around it and you get nowhere if the dog does it prefers it that way leave the dog like that just make sure the dog has uh, more toughness and and he's more resistant to the pressure right but but even if there is any kind of genetic component through this training we can get the dogs to to start pushing and there's ways you can do that without a decoy right yeah so i remember i've i've uh, i i've i think i've i've done it it's, there's a video somewhere i'll make sure um, i make sure i put a link to that in the show notes so people can check that out it's there's a there's a way you can do it and and again it's play it's it's fun for the dog the dog should be extremely extremely relaxed because you're his handler you're his mom his dad you're you're his best friend uh, and the way i like to do it is by having an item which is big enough for the dog to bite and big enough for me to have my my hands my fingers on it and at the same time i can put the item in between my legs and my elbows so i can keep it static because there's no one behind the dog to actually guide the dog and help the dog a bit the dog needs to do it by itself so what I like to do is I like to I like for the dog to have the item, and I will play with the dog, and I like to have a um, it's like a like a like a move from left to to right. So I, I move from left to right, wide moves, and the dog will move his head to where I'm moving the item. And when I think that the dog needs to learn, how do I get this item? What do I have to do? Because being under movement all the time, he's he's fighting with me to get the item i have the item he has the item he wants it we're both in a tug of people people like to call it tug of war so when i become static and i place the item in the correct way if the dog pulls back that's fine it doesn't get the reward because the reward the item is blocked in between my elbows my hands and my and my my knees but when the dog pushes that's when i release so Give it with a dog that likes to, you know, uh, perform in, in, in tugging. Give it four, five, six repetitions, and then you'll see the dog biting, and then the first reaction will be, I know what I have to do, and then he, he will push. Right. So and- there are there are ways in which you can do it, but again, you have to 
decide which way and you have to think about the dog that you're working with. Uh, I'll make sure I put the video tutorial for that in the show notes so people can check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's quite, quite, a, quite, quite a easy way to, to do it. Is there anything else uh, that you'd like people to check out, you know, any social media profiles or websites or how can people find out more about you, Nick? So I have a, I have a Facebook page, uh, which at this moment has, has, a, has a different name than what I expect. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with Facebook to actually change the page now. Um, but my page name uh, is A.Florin uh, Alexandru. That's, that's my name. So it's 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 there. People can can have a look at the page over there. Um, it's it, the page is going to become a bit more uh, animated soon. Um, in uh, I know that in June, on the 16th and 17th of June, <coughs> I will have another Mondial introduction, uh, which I'm going to I'm going to be in uh, uh, in somewhere around Brighton. I cannot remember the address right. Uh, but I'm going to work with uh, Bryony from uh, Eye to Eye, and we're gonna we're gonna introduce the monitoring again. You have uh, one in, in same... Clevedon, right? You have one in Clevedon. Yeah, th- 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 that's the one. Sorry, Clevedon. Brighton is near Bristol. Clevedon's near Bristol. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Not I need Brighton. I get familiar with, uh, with <laughs> <laughs> locations. Yeah, so that's the one in in in, yeah. the one in Clevedon in June. Uh-huh. Uh, we're gonna have another Mondio introduction. Uh, people can come and experience again what monitoring is. Right. Uh, we'll have a couple of dogs which uh, will be able to to demonstrate that in one way or another. Uh, and it's it's gonna be different because it's not gonna be that cold. Yes. Yeah. That's uh, that will make it far more enjoyable. <laughs> exactly. 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 So uh, and and I have a few other events uh, that I'm thinking of, uh, but with work and uh and and you know personal life it's it's difficult to, to squeeze them in uh but i uh i think that this summer will be a bit more busier because uh i'm planning the summer to be a bit more flexible for me well yeah i would definitely recommend checking it out because i really enjoyed it and also i know um you've done a few videos and video tutorials and stuff man you should do more they're so good the ones that you've put up you know i think you you really have a knack for it yeah, I'll, uh, if if I get the time, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For now, so, they have uh, to see you in person. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because to be honest, my 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 time is it's it's very limited at at this uh, at this uh, moment, uh, and and it's all due to to work and and, and family and personal circumstances. Uh, but I'm like I said, I'm planning of on uh, having a, a bit more flexible summer, which technically it will be. Uh, uh, a bit better because we'll have more natural light outside. Day is gonna be longer than going dark at five o'clock, and it should be a bit more. You know, from a logistical point of view, it should be a bit more um, better than uh, than what it is right now. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, do this. That's podcast. all right. Fine. Yeah, finally, we we've managed to to do it, and it's uh, it's interesting because you, you recently had uh, had Craig on it. And it's uh, one Mondio decoy after another. <laughs> yeah, this is quickly turning into a Mondio podcast. Yeah, well, you never know how you're going to get your first Mali in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people say that to me, actually. A lot of people that are involved in the bike work stuff, you know, say, when are you going to hurry up and get a Mali? But at the moment, we, uh, we our house is too small. We don't have the time. But someday, for sure, I would love to get involved in this kind of stuff. Well, 
I wish you good luck from now. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And it was really awesome to talk no to you. What is? Thanks, Nick. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. That was a lot of fun. Nick is a really cool guy. If you want to grab the show notes for this episode, then you can do that at nickbenger.com slash nake hyphen florin. Don't forget, you can also join us to talk about the podcast on Facebook. Just search for the group Dog Talk with Nick Benger podcast discussion group and put in a request to join. You can also help me out hugely by leaving an iTunes or a Stitcher review of this podcast or just sharing it with a friend that might be interested. Thanks so much for listening. See you.